Well, we are so grateful for the Aldridge family and this portrait of love that they had in their life exhibited from Jesus. So, uh, so grateful to you, Aldridge family. And welcome to everyone here, those joining us at our online campus over at our Bush Lake campus. It's so good to be together to just worship and lift high the name of Jesus. My name is Zach Bush, and I have the joy of serving as the Bush Lake campus pastor, as well as the multi-site pastor. And within my job, I have just the amazing honor to lead staff and to lead volunteers. It really is a privilege. And whenever we think about that word leadership, you know, I think a lot of times uh, we have some confusion around it. There are so many books written about leadership, yet we know how vital and key leadership is to organizations and to families. And so I am always on the quest to uncover what does leadership really mean? What are the characteristics, the qualities, what are the successes of leadership? And so recently I read in an article, a research article, uh, that they went through and they interviewed about 48 different teams from five different tech startup companies. And they were after this question, is there something that helps build resilient and productive teams? Is there a character or a quality or a characteristic found in leadership? And here's what they discovered. They said this, this research study adds to a growing body of research showing that the expression of empathy is increasingly recognized as a pivotal leadership effectiveness tool in today's global market. When leaders learn to hold judgment at arm's length and try to walk in employees' shoes, it can boost workplace morale, team performance, and productivity. And so the quality of empathy is truly important for um, successful leadership, the ability to uh, hold judgment at arm's length and to walk in our employees' shoes. But I don't think empathy is just important for leadership. Rather, I think that empathy is also important for all of our relationships, for our friendships. It's important for our families, but it's also important for our faith. Empathy has a place in our faith as well. And that's why we are in a sermon series right now called Revealed, The Portraits of God. We're digging into the book of Revelation. I haven't done a, a sermon series on Advent in the book of Revelation. It's been a lot of fun, but we're looking at these portraits, these titles of Jesus as revealed in the book of Revelation, Alpha, the Omega, the bright morning star. And today we continue along in it. And we're reminded that Advent symbolizes a time of Jesus's arrival, his coming. And we're, we have to remember his first arrival, but also his second arrival at the end of time. And it's in that first arrival, that first coming, that we see Jesus taking on human form, being born as a babe, walking in our shoes, exhibiting empathy. And though we hear that, I think for a lot of us, we navigate times and seasons in our life where maybe some of us, maybe even some of you right now, ask the question, is Jesus really with me? Okay, maybe for some of you, you're navigating a time in which you're looking for guidance or direction. You don't know quite what's next. And so you ask the question, is Jesus really with me to prompt and direct? Maybe for some others of us, we find ourselves in a, in a state with our faith where it kind of feels lethargic and it just feels stagnant and we're not growing. Our faith isn't blossoming. And we ask the question, is Jesus really with me? Uh, maybe for others of us though, we're navigating hardships, difficulty, unquestionable times, maybe for our life or maybe for the life of a loved one. And then we ask the question, it prompts us to ask, is Jesus really with me? Well, when we look at scripture, it is a resounding clarity answer. Yes, Jesus is with us. And I wanna look into this and learn from this 
Because today the portrait that we're gonna see of Jesus in the book of Revelation is Jesus as pastor and shepherd. Uh, Jesus wants to pastor and shepherd not only our churches, but he wants to pastor and shepherd the souls of our life. And so what I wanna look at today is one question, which is this. How does our view of Jesus as pastor and shepherd shape our lives? How does our view of Jesus as pastor and shepherd impact our lives, how we journey in faith and how we interact with those all around us? We say that Jesus is the chief pastor and the chief shepherd. And today we're gonna be looking at two chapters in the book of Revelation. We're gonna look at chapters two and chapters three. Uh, We're gonna be digging into the seven churches of Revelation to learn from them. Now I realize that this is gonna be an overview. So you've got some homework to do this week. Okay, when was the last time you went to church and the pastor gave you homework? Today, that's when it was. I invite you to pick up a Bible and read Revelation 2 and 3. It'll take you about five, 10 minutes. And if you don't have a Bible, stop out at our info spots. We've got Bibles there for you free of charge. But let's dig into the word of God together to see how Jesus pastors and he shepherds the seven churches, but also our church and our life. Now, before we dive into it though, I wanna give a little context around Jesus as pastor and shepherd. And we really see this coming from Revelation 7, 17. Look at these words with me. It says this, for the lamb, that is Jesus, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Hear these beautiful words. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Man, what a beautiful promise that we can sit in. Okay, but really here we see that it's calling Jesus as a shepherd. And this was originally written in the language of Greek. And the Greek word here is actually synonymous. It's interchangeable as shepherd or as pastor. They're oftentimes used um, interchangeably as one another. And so what we can ultimately learn is that as pastors, we should learn the qualities and the characteristics of a shepherd. In fact, we could ultimately kind of joke around a little bit and say, you know what? Uh, We could change the title of pastors and churches across the the world. So for Pastor Joel, uh, he could be be Joel Johnson, Senior Shepherd of Westwood Community Church. Or I could be Zach Bush, Bush Lake Campus Shepherd. Uh, Do you see how these words are interchangeable? And so we see this picture of a shepherd shepherding its flock, shepherding you and me. So what is it then exactly a shepherd does that helps us to learn and build up these qualities. I wanna give you three briefly so that we can really see how Jesus as the good shepherd is true in our lives. First of all, one of the key characteristics of a shepherd is a shepherd is present. Okay, a shepherd is present. Think about it. Imagine back in biblical times, if a shepherd all of a sudden was like, you know what, I'm gonna go into town to get some supplies and I'm just gonna leave my flock here. What's gonna happen? Nothing good. Okay, because sheep, if you've ever been around sheep, sheep are dumber than a box of rocks. They're not necessarily the smartest animals. They very likely could walk off a cliff themselves. Or a a, a crazy animal, a bear or a lion, could come up and snatch the flock or snatch these sheep and scatter the flock. And so a shepherd is present in all things. And that's what we want to be as pastors. We want to be present with our flock, with our congregation. But because a shepherd is present, it leads into the next thing. A shepherd ultimately protects its flock. And to give you a little bit of uh, uh, an image or an illustration, I've got a little uh, object lesson for you here, you know. Sheep, 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 come on, sheep. But what we see is that sheep, 
or uh, shepherds protect their sheep. And so they would use a, a club or they'd use a staff. We think of David, how he was able to fight off bears and lions, okay? Shepherd were, were really just uh, gritty individuals. And so they'd use to protect their flock from anything that looked to do them harm. But not only that, not only was a shepherd present and a shepherd protects, but a shepherd also prompts. It prompts its flock. And so as you can see here, they would use maybe this, the shepherd's crook to, to prompt its flock. In case there's a sheep maybe going off to the side, the, the shepherd could come along and, and kind of prompt them to get back into the flock. Or if a, a sheep fell down a, a hill or a ravine, they could use the, the crook to, to pull the, the, the sheep back up and, and bring them back into the flock and show a shepherd prompts you and me. That's how Jesus interacts in our lives. And I'm going to hand this back off. And, and you know, if I go too long, Kim might use this to, to pull me off stage. Who knows? She might use that to prompt me, but we ultimately see that Jesus is the good shepherd of churches and of our lives, that he is present, that he protects and that he prompts. And we see how he is present and he prompts and protects the seven churches of Revelation. And so we're going to be digging into them now. And what I want to do is um, really give you a chart that you can begin to see here on, on the screens there. Uh, but you can see the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. This is all modern day Turkey. And they're all connected via a, a trade route. And so Jesus is speaking words to each and every one of these churches. And this will be our outline, our guidelines for today. And even though each of these churches faced something different, it's something that the churches today still will experience. And we can learn so much wisdom from them to apply to our own lives. So we'll look at the churches. And then what I want to do is I want to give you a reflection point under each of these churches. I want to give you a chance to reflect on your own life and your own faith journey. And so I invite you to pull out your teaching notes now because I, I, get, I hear rumors on the street. Um, Zach is the expert at three-point sermons, okay? Today, you get a six-point sermon, all right? You get your money's worth today, okay? Because we're going to look at each of these churches. We'll combine two of them in together to give you six points. But there's going to be a lot of ground to cover. And so I invite you, dig into it, learn, do some introspection in your own life. Okay, but let's dig in, first of all, to the book uh, or the, the, the church of Ephesus, which was the first one. Now, Ephesus, as you saw on that map, is a port city. And so it received a lot of trade goods from Rome into modern-day Turkey. It was believed to have been really a hub for all of Turkey. And since it was that, a lot of traffic came through Ephesus, which meant there was a lot of diversity of thought and diversity of religious opinion. And there was believed to be many false apostles, false prophets, who would sneak into the church. And Jesus is speaking to them. He's saying, uh, you've done a good job um, keeping the, that false prophet, that false apostle at arm's length. But because you've done that, there is something that is missing within the church. Hear the words of what Jesus said. He says this, though you've done this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. It's so heartbreaking because this church in Ephesus, they were so infatuated with doctrine and, and correct thinking, and that was right and good. But because they were so infatuated with that, they probably became suspicious of one another, and they probably became suspicious of outsiders as well. They began to question their love for others. But not only that, and their desire to, to uphold correct doctrine and, and fight these false apostles, they probably became fatigued in their faith. And because they were fatigued, they probably lost their love for God. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, get back to your first love. And so maybe for some of us here, we're sitting in that place where you're like, yeah, you know what? My faith, 
it, it feels kind of stagnant. I, I just feel like I'm going through the motions. Here is the reflection for you. Am I pursuing my first love? Okay, am I pursuing my first love? Jesus warns them. He says, you've defended your faith, you've endured, but now your faith lacks love and love primarily for the one who initiated love in the first place, primarily for Jesus, God himself. And it's so heartbreaking to see. If we have a faith that is void of love, our faith will be stagnant. Jesus says, reclaim that love. Get back to what you did at first. Now here's a parallel that, that really hit me this week as I was preparing for this message. Um, I, I stopped at one point, I, I pulled up my phone and I, I unlocked it. And do you ever have those moments wherever you have a, a photo memory that comes up and it's like, you know, from five or eight years ago on your phone? Oh, that's what happened to me. And I, I saw this photo and I, and I almost didn't recognize it at first, but what, I, what dawned on me was, is it was a photo that was taken a week before our wedding with my wife, Cassie and I. Okay, I had like a faux hawk and a goatee. It was a terrible look. I don't know why I thought it was a good look at the time. Uh, this was almost, you know, 10 years ago. Um, but I just sat there, I'm like, I texted Cassie. And I said, look at us, we're just babies, you know, but it was just a week before our wedding. And then that began to stir up some memories. A week later, we would be married. And then at the end of the summer, we would leave to go to Dallas and we would experience that season there in seminary and doing ministry in the DFW area. And then we'd he hear the call back up to Minnesota in 2016 and we'd move back and we'd have three beautiful kiddos. And it was one of those things that I remembered. It's like, get back to the beginning where it all started and then remembering all of those stories. I think that there's a parallel for our faith too, for anyone who feels stagnant in their faith, like they feel like they've lost their first love. Jesus says, get back to what you started with. Go back to your first encounter with Christ and work your way up from there. Because as you do, you'll remember the stories. You'll remember Jesus's provision and God's faithfulness through all of your journey in life. And so as we hear the shepherd's voice, we know that the shepherd's voice is one of love. And he's calling us here. He's saying, I'm sufficient in and of myself. And yet I want you to reciprocate the love to me that I'm showcasing to you. That's what Christ is calling us into. And so am I pursuing my first love? That's really our first reflection question that we have. And we see in the church of Ephesus. But now we come to the second church, which is the church in Smyrna. And Smyrna is one of two churches that did not receive a rebuke from Jesus. But of course, they had a forewarning from him. Uh, Jesus says these words. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Okay, we see it here pretty clear. Jesus says, the devil, he's gonna throw some of you into prison for 10 days and you will experience, you will endure through testing. But he says, remain steadfast, endure throughout all of it and you will receive the victor's crown as your reward. And so it's a question for you and for me, not just for the church then, but for the church now. Am I prepared for hardship? Okay, am I prepared for hardship? This one makes us a little bit uncomfortable uh, because I think a lot of times uh, we don't think about this, but what we realize is that the ways of the world more times than not stay, stand in opposition to the ways of God. They stand in contrast to the ways of Jesus. And, and yet we are surprised by this. We, we don't want to think about it a lot of times, but when we go to the scriptures, we see time and time again that Jesus says, anyone who comes and follow me, they're, they're gonna experience hardship or persecution or difficulties. Now, I, I wanna make a quick disclaimer. 
Because some of the hardships that we experience here, they're not the same as what other believers around the world for all of time have experienced. I mean, there, some, some believers are going through really atrocious things. But it's a reminder to us to be on guard, to be prepared for the hardships that are before us in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. To not be surprised by it, but to be prepared. And so as we hear the shepherd's voice, it's a reminder to us that shepherds are present. That no matter what we experience, Christ is with us. Walking in our shoes, walking beside us, giving us the strength for whatever it is before us. That's the church in Smyrna. Now we come to um, the third church. And what I actually want to do is I want to combine two churches. I want to combine the church of Pergamon and the church of Thyatira because they experienced a lot of similarities in terms of uh, their rebuke and, and the forewarnings that Jesus gave to them. But first, the church in Pergamon. Pergamum was believed to be the administrative capital of Asia at this time. And so it was a very affluent city and uh, yet also a very polytheistic city. In fact, it's believed that the city of, of Pergamum built a temple to a Roman emperor who was still living. Usually the custom was once they died, build the temple. But this person, this, this city built a temple for the emperor. So you could go there and you could actually worship that emperor. But not only that, a, a temple for Zeus overlooked the city and the Greek god Asclepius that stood for health and wellness was found all throughout the city inscribed on walls and buildings. And he was the god for health and wellness. And so you could see monotheism versus polytheism. Christians who said, I believe in the one true God would face hardship in this time. And yet here's what Jesus spoke to them. Uh, he says this, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. And so what's going on here? Okay, Jesus is referring back to an Old Testament story found in the book of Numbers, where the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, moving into the promised land, um, a, a foreign entity came in. It was led by Balaam and Balak, and they wanted to throw them off. And so Balaam asked Balak, he said, find a way to trip them up. And so Balak brought in foreign women, Midianite women, and they began to seduce the men of Israel. And at that point, they began to commit actions with them. And then they began to marry them. And as they married them, they actually slid into a different religion and practiced different faiths, all because they were enticed. And so we see here the same thing happening in Pergamum, the same old story and the same old tricks, sliding away from Christ and accommodating to the culture around them. That's Pergamum. Now, what about Thyatira? Well, what we see in Pergamum is that they're being influenced by teaching outside and inside the church from the outside in, but in Thyatira, it's actually reversed. It's false teaching from the inside influencing them to go out. And so what we see in Thyatira is a warning from Jesus. He says this, uh, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And so the content of Jezebel's teaching really led this church astray. And it wasn't just the fact that they were eating food sacrificed to idols, but it was the whole pagan practice, the, the immoral actions and the food that was eaten all accompanied together. Jesus was saying, you, you've, you've adopted everything from the outside. And so really, if we were to look at these two churches and we can see a warning applied not only to them, but also to us, because like Pergamum and Thyatira, they were being influenced to really accommodate and adopt the culture. They were really feeling this, this pull to, to compromise their beliefs and their way of living. 
And so for you and for me, it's just a reflection question such as this. Will I stand firm in biblical conviction? Okay, will I stand firm in biblical conviction? When the world is trying to press us in and make us look a little bit different, will I find ways to stand on the conviction of what Christ has given me revealed through his word? As I look to him as the shepherd, the one who prompts and directs, will I follow him or will I find ways to accommodate and compromise to that all around us? Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we're called to beat people over the head with our Bibles, but it's really this idea of, can I uphold grace and uphold truth? Not to shame or dehumanize others, but to really stand set apart as holy and sanctified as something different than the world all around us. Okay, am I willing to stand firm in biblical conviction? Because as we look to Jesus as our pastor and shepherd, we know that the, the shepherd protects And so we hear his loving voice that the shepherd protects us from false teaching. That's the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira. Uh, Let's keep moving along. Hang with me now. I know it's a lot, but, but hang in there. We're looking next at the church of Sardis. And Sardis was really a city that was insignificant. But hundreds of years prior, they had an incredible military powerhouse. They were known for their military prowess around the world. But they rested on their past accomplishments rather than continuing to advance as a city. And this bled over into the church as well. Hear the warnings of Jesus. Uh, He says this, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you actually are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Some words to describe this church. They were lethargic. They were one and done. Uh, They rested on past accomplishments, but Jesus is calling them out. He says, wake up. He says, don't continue in this path, lest whatever is left living in your life becomes dead as well. It's really an urgent call and it's an important call. And I think for some of us, we might sit in our seat just thinking to ourselves, yeah, you know what? I'm kind of sitting there too. I kind of feel lethargic. I kind of feel like my faith isn't blossoming. And so what we can hear in the reflection from Jesus is this, am I on the path to becoming fully alive in Jesus? Okay, am I on the path to becoming fully alive in Jesus? Okay, we're never going to get done perfectly right on this side of eternity. But I think for a lot of times we walk into our faith thinking, you know what? I, I prayed that prayer. Therefore, I'm good. Or maybe for others, it's like, you know, I grew up in a family of faith. My mom and my dad, they were believers. Therefore, I'm good. Or, you know, I go to church every now and then and, and I cleanse my conscience. Therefore, I'm good. But what Jesus is saying, he's like, man, don't walk physically, be, don't be physically dead and, or don't be sp- physically alive, but spiritually dead. He says, I want you to be spiritually alive. I want you to thrive in life. And I'm reminded of what Jesus said. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you might have life abundantly. Christ wants us to thrive in our faith and in our lives. And so we can hear the voice, the loving voice of the shepherd who prompts us into paths of righteousness and to being alive in Christ as he awakens us in our life. The sixth church is the church of Philadelphia. Now this isn't Philadelphia PA, okay? Don't hear hear me when I say that. It's not the Eagles or anything like that. But Philadelphia and Turkey, because of their geographical location, they experienced numerous earthquakes and these earthquakes would often leave the city completely decimated. And so Jesus is picking up on this idea and he's speaking vision to them. He says this, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. 
Jesus is encouraging them. He says, hold on to what you have. No one will ever take your crown. He's calling them to endurance and then they will be victorious. And then Jesus uses metaphorical language. He says, your victory is the fact that you will be a pillar in the temple of God. This is an interesting metaphor, isn't it? Why does he use that? I mean, think about it. In this city, they are accustomed to seeing everything around them decimated. The the city blocks, the, the marketplace, houses. But what Jesus is getting at is he's saying, if you endure, you will stand as a pillar in the temple of God. Something that is not knocked over by the circumstances around it. And so for some of us, we need to hear this and we need to reflect on this question. Will I stand tall as a pillar of hope? Will I stand tall as a pillar of hope? When the earth quakes all around us, when the bottom completely falls out, will I stand tall as a pillar of hope? As a pastor, I I get to hear stories from people all the time. People who are navigating health issues, job issues, family issues. And the consistent theme that I hear is that when we navigate earthquakes and hardships, that people will place us on a viewing platform. That the hardships and the difficulties that we go through, they will watch how we respond and our posture throughout all of it. And here's the truth that I've learned. That the harder, the greater the difficulty, the greater a chance it is to honor and glorify Jesus through that hardship and difficulty. And so when you see the life and the world all around you falling, will you stand tall as a pillar of hope? being Jesus's light and his love and his goodness shining forth in this world all around us. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. And so when we hear the shepherd's loving voice, we ultimately can see the shepherd's presence and his promptings give us strength to be large in times of difficulty. That's the church in Philadelphia. Will I stand tall as a pillar of hope? But now the seventh and final church, all right? Y'all hung with me, all right? Keep hanging, all right? The church in Laodicea. And the church in Laodicea had two things going for them. First, they had immeasurable wealth. It's believed that in AD 17, an earthquake decimated the city and wiped it out. And rather than receiving money from the Roman government, the citizens pooled money together and rebuilt the city themselves. But not only that, the city actually didn't have a water source. So they piped in water uh, from nearby cities that brought in uh, hot water from hot springs or from other cities that brought in cold water. So they had hot or cold, but it was really this, this wealth and water that Jesus used to give them a rebuke and to give them a warning. Let's take a look at his words. He says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Do you hear it there? I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Great image. Okay, keep going. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Okay, Jesus does not pull punches with this church. And I think it's really one of the most stinging rebukes, but he says, you are neither hot nor cold. Now, what does he mean by this? Let's parse it out. I think a lot of times people think that Jesus is referring to spiritual zeal or fervor. Like Jesus wants us to be either on fire, hot for Jesus, like, okay, I'm so excited, yeah. Uh, Or it's cold, like, oh man, you're cold in your faith. I don't think though that Jesus wants any of us to be cold in our faith. Rather, what I think Jesus is doing here is he's speaking to the usefulness of our faith. Okay, let's think about it. Hot water, what does hot water do when you're feeling sick or down? Think about the last time you sat in a hot tub or a jacuzzi. You're like, mm, yeah, I'm into that. Okay, you feel relaxed, you feel healed. That's what hot water does. It brings healing properties. Uh, what about cold water? 
Okay, after you mowed the lawn on a hot summer day or like me, you shoveled your driveway, you want a cold drink of water to replenish your strength. So cold water helped. But what about lukewarm water? Okay, coming in after a warm day and then you, you take a big swig of lukewarm water, like that's nasty. No one wants that. But not only that, I think Jesus is, is getting at to this reality that lukewarm water back then had the chance of carrying diseases. So that's why he's saying, I'm gonna spit you out. And so Jesus is referring to a usefulness in our faith. He's saying, are you going to have a faith that's going to be useful for the kingdom purposes? And so a phrase that we've adopted here at Westwood over the last year and a half is this question, am I available? You know, if there's one quality of the heart that God longs for and desires, it's a posture of availability. I mean, think about Jesus. When he called his disciples, he said, come and follow me. And what were they? They were available. They dropped their nets and they followed him. And so the reflection question for you is this, am I available to the purposes of Christ? Okay, am I available to the purposes of Christ, to what's before me? I might not know where Jesus is leading me. I might not know what's gonna happen next, but am I at least available? Do I want to have a usefulness in my faith? And do I have my eyes set on him or on something else? Do I have my eyes and ears set on the noises and the distractions and the voices all around me? Am I distracted by those things? Maybe am I even distracted by pursuing wealth, kind of like the church in Laodicea and what they experienced? Or am I following Jesus? Am I saying, Jesus, here I am, I am available. And as we hear the loving voice of the pastor, shepherd, and Jesus, we see that he prompts us to have a posture of availability. Everyone take a big sigh of relief, a big breath right there. We got through it, seven churches, and I've got a quick review chart here. So you can pull out your phones, you can snap a photo of this, because remember, you've got some homework this week. Um, I'll receive your assignments before we start next Sunday. It'll be great. But just as a, a reminder, we see these churches, rolling through them briefly. Ephesus, they had forsaken their first love. And so it's a reflection for us. Am I pursuing my first love? Smyrna and Philadelphia, they didn't have rebukes. But for Smyrna, it was a question, am I prepared for hardships before me? Pergamum and Thyatira, they were compromised by false teaching. And so the question is, will I stand firm in biblical conviction? For Sardis, they were physically alive, but spiritually dead. They rested on their past successes. And so it's a question, am I on the path to becoming fully alive in Christ? For Philadelphia, when the earthquakes of life hit, will I stand tall as a pillar of faith? And then finally for Laodicea, they had a lukewarm faith, neither hot nor cold, a faith that was really useless. And so the question is, am I available for the purposes of Christ, to put my faith into practice, to bring his hope and light to the world around us. You know, friends, as we think about this, we see Jesus as pastor and shepherd, that he walks with us in our shoes, he put on flesh and, and dwelt among us. And so he wants these things for us. He wants to be the pastor. He wants to be the shepherd of our lives and of our soul. And so the question for you is, will you allow him to do just that? Will you allow his presence, his protection, and his promptings to go with you for our good and ultimately for his glory. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Gracious Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus, uh, born of a virgin, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see in Jesus the perfect picture of empathy, that he walked in our shoes, that there's nothing we haven't experienced that Jesus hasn't experienced himself. And he moved close to us. Not just then, but now as well. That he is the pastor and shepherd of this church, of every church, and he's the pastor and shepherd of our soul. 
And so may we find ways to become fully alive in him. May we find ways to love you more. May we find ways to stand tall as pillars of hope and hardship and difficulty. May we find ways to stand firm in biblical conviction. May we find ways to be available for your kingdom purposes. And so above all else, stir up our heart and our love for you and guide and direct our steps for our good and for your glory. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit. All God's people said, amen. amen.